Hey, I'm Esther Yunji Kang. And I'm Suzy An. Welcome to Shoes Off, a Sexy Asians podcast. Many of you will know our sexy Asian guest today from his breakout role on HBO's Insecure. That's right. We've got Asian Bay, a.k.a. Alexander Hodge. How can I play somebody who orders crawfish tail and collard greens like this isn't a date? <laughs> oh, this a date? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm too sober to notice. Well, I can fix that, Molly Square. You know, Insecure was such a smart and funny show created by the equally smart and funny Issa Rae. Susie, what did you think when you first saw Alexander Hodge, a.k.a. Andrew Tan, on that show? Well, you know, I, I saw him and like, oh, cool, there's an Asian character. I mean, he was a side character, mm-hmm. so I didn't really give much thought. I mm. thought he was cute. Mm-hmm. But then when he became Molly's love interest, mm. um, I suddenly felt myself getting rep sweats. Yeah. You know, that's something that uh, Phil Yu, Angry Asian Man, mentioned a couple of episodes ago on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Rep sweats is the feeling of like when we're about to watch something with Asians or when the Asian comes on the screen unexpectedly and we're like, Okay, please be good. Please be good. You know, like represent, dude. So yeah, I got the rep sweats. And I think part of that had to do with those stats from the dating app OkCupid. Mm. You know, it says Asian men and black women were rated the least attractive. Mm. And, you know, those stats are about a decade old, but it stuck with me when I saw that pairing of Andrew and Molly in Insecure. Yeah, and that storyline is also one that just isn't too common on uh, TV and movies, a black woman Mm -hmm. and and an Asian man paired together. And even though this particular love story didn't pan out, uh, sorry if that's that's a spoiler, Alexander Hodge's character was – Really, really yeah, a good one. Like he, he was. was so sweet and attentive mm-hmm. and a really good partner to Molly. Yeah, attentive and sweet in the show, but also in real life. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I totally fell for him yeah, in we our were, chat. We were swooning pretty bad. <laughs> but of course, it's not all thirsty talk. You know, we get into his struggle to process his biracial identity, which actors he looks up to, and why he got into so many fights as a kid. And a warning to listeners. He was so dreamy and charming. You too might fall in love. That conversation's coming up after the break. So, Esther, I was never one for a man bun until I saw Alexander Hodge on HBO's Insecure. Mm, With all that awesome hair, plus dimples you can drink from, Mm -hmm. he's definitely earned the title Asian Bay. But to us, he's just Bay. That's right. And big ups to Issa Rae and company for writing a storyline that's so full and nuanced on TV. And Alexander Hodge was the perfect person to take on the role of Andrew Tan. He's hot, he's introspective, vulnerable, and funny. And he's our sexy Asian guest today. Alexander Hodge, welcome to Shoes Off. Dimples you can drink from? I have never. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I see them right now on Zoom and I can definitely drink from them. Yes. And they're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that got me. That got me. Wow. <laughs> well, when did you first think, yes, I am sexy? Jeez. <laughs> I feel like. Growing up as a kid, there's sort of like slivers, right? There's like moments, you kind of catch yourself one morning, you like step out the shower and the light hits you just right. You're like, oh, hang on. Yeah, I could, I look pretty good today. So maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, sort of points in in high school, but then getting older, I think the only time I actually considered that it might be uh, 
a sustained possibility was probably a few months after you know insecure came out and the public dialogue was was mm -hmm. a little was was a little sustained and i thought oh okay i guess i should probably like look at this <laughs> and check oh, this yeah. and see but yeah i guess that's one of those things that we always struggle with mm -hmm. what do you think is your best physical feature or attribute Oh shit! <laughs> Dimples you can drink from. Come on. <laughs> dimples I can drink from. Great. I am. Yeah, sure. My dimples. I don't. I don't know. I think I have nice hands. Oh, I like. Okay. I've got like calluses and stuff. Nice hands. And like, I like hands that can tell a story. And my mm. hands have like tattoos and calluses and scars and stuff. Yeah, you just flash those hands, and they are nice. <laughs> they look good. <laughs> These are objectively nice. I have your. I have your approval. These are great. <laughs> Well, from Insecure, folks really loved the long hair and the man bun. What inspired that? Um, I couldn't afford a haircut. It was expensive. <laughs> I moved to New York and I studied theater in New York and I kind of just cut costs. I was like, whatever is, you know, a bit of a an unnecessary expense. I mean, it's either between food or a haircut. And <laughs> basically, if I have short hair, then it's, it's it's an external market that I'm doing okay. <laughs> if I have long hair, then, <laughs> then money's drying up. Speaking of New York, I mean, you were kind of living in not the best place when you moved to New York trying to pursue your career. Tell us what that was like. I like to think I had a um a pretty varied experience of New York. So I moved to Chinatown. There were eight of us in a three-bedroom apartment. And I was the only one who didn't speak Chinese. And also the only one who spoke English. I have my first ever TV job. I did an episode of Law and Order, SVU. <laughs> this guy jumped down my throat. You know, I, I didn't know these girls were underage. Isn't knowing that part of your job? I was upselling. He said they were ordering sodas, not tipping. You know, I got to eat too. All right. And I was living in that apartment at the time. Mm. And I thought, man, this is it. I made it. Like, this is, this is, this is me as an actor. You know, Law and Order, this is the one. And I wanted to tell my my roommates that i was filming tv and i couldn't because they had no idea what i was saying and <laughs> too i realized that even if i could i don't know if they care <laughs> and uh, i just i just remember thinking like wow this is a very humbling experience bringing it to more recent times you were in this uh, amazing show insecure and you've talked about asian male uh, stereotypes in hollywood and how you didn't like the way that they were portrayed necessarily. What films or shows, you know, broke that mold for you or, or gave you hope when you were coming up? I looked at people like John Cho and Steve Yun as kind of like a North Star when it comes mm. to this. Um, I work hard to separate my personal life from, from work. And people like them, they seem to have found a way to step up to the plate and offer really great work that really broadens not only the perspective of what an Asian man could be, but just them as people. You know, look at their catalog, look at the body of work from these two guys. It spans so many different personalities and genres and, and universes. It's incredible to me to, to be able to look to people like that as an artist, but as an Asian man trying to do this for a living, sort of like, oh, it seems so simple. Once you see someone do it, but I had never seen it happen until John Cho or Steve Yun had 
stepped out of the lane to do that. Well, those are still slightly more recent examples. I mean, John John definitely has been working for a long time. Like growing up, did you have good examples of Asian representation? Uh, growing up, <laughs> I remember being called Jackie Chan. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, that's so cool. I'm like Jackie Chan. People are calling me Jackie Chan. That like that pumped me up with so much confidence. Until I realized it was a slur mm. and people were saying it to knock me down. And that made me think, oh, I can't be like Jackie Chan. I can't do what he does because it's not good to do what he does. Ironically, in the in, in one fell swoop, I was empowered and then sort of shamed in the same stroke. So I don't think growing up, I really um, felt inclined to want to be Asian in any meaningful way. It made me feel like a like a target. So kind of sad as it is to say, I think John and Steve might have been the first to be able to reach me in a meaningful way. And I was already an adult. Wow. Yeah. So you grew up in Australia. Your mom is Asian. Your dad is white. I imagine that comes with some weight in your childhood. What was that like growing up in Australia? And did you see your parents getting shit for their own relationship? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny. My mom once told me all the names that she wanted to call me when she gave birth to me. And she said on Alexander because she felt it was a name that would blend in. The first thing that she ever gave me was my name, and it was already an act of defense. Mm. And that sucks to hear, especially thinking all these great dreams and hopes that she had for me were already being safeguarded, were already protective measures. And that's just the reality um, for my mother, who was an immigrant, who was raising a, a mixed-race kid. And there weren't really that many mixed-race kids growing up in the 90s where, where we are and where my mum had grown up and so on. So it was, it was a very risky thing for her to do. Growing up as a child, I remember going to the local park with my mum and just seeing people bullying her, mm. just random strangers. You know, we grew up in a, uh, you know, an area that wasn't you know, pre-gentrified and so there were, local park wasn't really the safest place. But I just remember, um, I remember a bunch of kids just like bullying my mum for being Asian and just, and, and just thinking like, not just like, fuck you guys, but just like, like they were Lebanese, like they, they weren't white Australians either, you know? <laughs> like, and I feel like that's, um, that's kind of the reality anyway here. I, don't, I can't speak to, you know, growing up in America, but we weren't allowed to side with each other. It was dog eat dog. If you weren't white, you had to take down the other you know, minorities around you so that you could become safer. You could, you, you had to fight for a scrap you had to fight for a piece that you could call your own which i am really glad to see changing now you've talked really thoughtfully about being of mixed race you've said quote growing up mixed was like you were never enough of one thing and you're always too much of the other and i i thought you know it's so weird how this works like how we always focus first on our differences how did you deal with that? What was that like? I guess you pick your battles, right? Funnily enough, my the first language I ever spoke was Chinese. I spoke Mandarin. And when I started school, I stopped speaking. And I never knew that I spoke Chinese until my parents told me. And my dad said that we used to speak Chinese in the house and I would answer in English as a child and they would encourage me to answer in Chinese. And I, I flat out refused. I sort of just, I guess I committed 
to the uh to the to the white society that that i was surrounded by and yeah i think taking it in as an adult now realizing you know very few people on this earth especially in a western society are told that they are enough yeah you know it's not a struggle that's unique to us as asians um as second and third culture kids as children of immigrants it's across the board and we weaponize it against each other yeah i don't feel like i'm enough but if i'm if i'm closer to enough than you are then i'm better mm-hmm. then i'm all right it's kind of the pervasive idea that underlies a lot of actions right and for me growing up mixed i always thought oh if i if i just did this then i could be closer to if i just got better at sport then i'd be accepted if i won some fights then i'd be acknowledged and accepted if i got rid of my tan before i went to singapore then i could be more like my cousins it was constantly trying to match aspirations that other people already had for themselves yeah and i find you know i guess i don't know thinking about it now looking back on it it's just it's kind of it's very funny but it's also very telling that we all do that to ourselves and others do you feel comfortable with who you are now and just reconcile that mixed race identity yeah i i embrace it now i kind of i kind of really love it you know i love i love my family as individuals And I look at my cousins in Singapore and go, yeah, that's, that's hella Asian, man. That's mad Asian. I could never do that. And I don't look at my cousins here and go, are oh, you mad white? You know, that's a lie. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I still do that. But yeah. but it's okay because, you know, it's it's yeah. you look at it, you're like, damn, that's white. That's like... But I feel, I feel like we're all doing that yeah. with, with, with white people. I feel like we're all we're all starting to point the fingers and go, hey, hey, you know that thing you've been doing forever? We don't like that. The power dynamic. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, your advice to Asian kids who are not in Asia, that it's okay to be who you are. And it sounds like you've really embraced your identity. When did you start feeling proud? And really, what was maybe the turning point of you embracing your identity? I can tell you, I grew up loving sports. So when I see Taylor Rapp win a Super Bowl, when I see Young Wei Koo become an iconic kicker for Atlanta, When I see Asians step out into spaces that historically we're not supposed to mm. be a part of, when I see K-pop be the number one genre in the world, when I see people sort of achieving dreams that I might have had when I was a child before it was taken away, before someone bullied it out of me, that's that's when I feel proudest. What about something you accomplished that you're like, yeah, I did that? Um, I guess for me it's that... <laughs> that made me cry, guys. The thing that makes me feel most proud is when my mom wants to talk about me to her friends. That's it. Because I've never really been the typical Chinese kid that excelled in academics. Um, I don't even have a degree. You know, I have tattoos and I got arrested a bunch when I was a kid and I was always angry and things. And my mother will openly lament about how difficult I was to, to raise at times. To hear her talking about me or, or posting on Facebook about something I've done, that that that's when I feel most mm. proud. Oh, I love that so much. You've called yourself a mama's boy. You've also Have s- I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you've also said that women of color, you know, obviously including your mom, probably foremost your mom, have done more for you than anyone else. And that informs your views on, you know, social issues, politics, etc. So Obviously, your mom is a huge influence. Um, who else? 
My sister is my hero, man. I love her. I'm always going to be her little brother. I'm always going to be nut shit to my sister. <laughs> but she's always going to expect the most from me because she knows that we can do it. And she knows that we can do it together. Mm. You know, she's always been the cornerstone. We grew up together. I watched her grow. I watched her become who she is. I watched her face all the bullshit of being a Chinese woman in Australia. And her experiences enlightened me to my privilege as a man. Yes, I might be an Asian man, but I'm still a man. That gives me so much to work with. And I guess that's that just has informed how I how I see the work of women in my life. Look at every project I've been a part of, right? There has been fundamentally a woman in a position to make or break that project beyond anything. And they've made it. If you look at, in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience, women have never failed me. <laughs> women have never failed in any capacity, personally, professionally, and so on. You know, within realistic standards, we all fail. But as minorities, we're taught, right? You know, we have to be twice as good just to get half as much. Mm. You add being a woman on top of that. Like, what is the multiple that you have to be in order just to get the equal amount of opportunity, right? So it's no surprise that every time any project I've been a part of has relied on a woman, it's been all right. Fuck, man. Look at people like, just look at Issa. Yeah. You don't have to look at anyone yeah. else. Just look at Issa. Look at everything that she's done and she continues to do. Not only as as an entrepreneur, but as someone who's literally changing culture, changing the way. I think you got a, a number of DMs just now. Uh, that was too good of an <laughs> okay. answer. If I check, when I check my social media, eventually I will, I will, I will respond. <laughs> I don't, also, social media, man, get off, get offline. Oh, get offline. agreed, just, agreed, yeah. Don't, don't, get don't, outside. Don't, don't get us started on that either. <laughs> we hate it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned Isa, who is just amazing. And you were worried that maybe you weren't Asian enough when you auditioned for the role of Andrew Tan on HBO's Insecure. Given that, how did you feel when fans gave you the nickname Asian Bay? First of all, on set, we were just talking about how you know, everyone's like, are you ready? You ready? It's going to happen. You ready? <laughs> and I'd always just be, I'd always just laugh it off because I was like, it's funny, but no, it's not going to happen because it doesn't happen for us. And that's, that's cool. That's just the way it is. And then it happened and I had panic attacks. Mm. And I didn't know how to respond to attention. I didn't, I didn't know how to respond to, you know, a stranger's grabbing me or wow. to, to the influx of messages and so on. I didn't know what to do because I didn't see it in myself. And so I felt like I was lying to everybody all the time. I felt like I was constantly perpetuating this lie that I was this, you know, appealing character that everyone liked and so on. Um, to, I mean, to a degree, I probably still feel that way, but... <laughs> The only, the only way through it was to kind of just, yeah, separate work from life and go, what part of it does feel like me? What part of it doesn't feel like me? And so on. But um, more than anything, I'm forever grateful to be Asian Bay and so on, but I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm happier that it actually happened than the fact that I, whether or not I needed to be me or, or, or somebody, I think that's interchangeable. I think, I think just the presence of the conversation is the most important thing. Yeah. I, I felt like that storyline of Andrew and Molly was just groundbreaking because we rarely see an on-screen romance between an Asian man and a black woman. And for a show to really peel back the layers. And I'm like, a sex scene too. Do you think the storyline in Insecure has moved the needle in any way? Yes, I think, I think it's brought more um, public 
for sure. But firstly, I want to honor those that paved the way. That is Palomitaba and Brandy. That oh, is yes. Jet Li and yeah. Aaliyah. Yes. Jancho and Gabrielle Union also. <laughs> oh my God. The hottest couple, like the hottest <laughs> coupling that you could ever like think of. Yeah. I, w- I want to acknowledge that it's been done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The public just wasn't ready to accept it. And there isn't anything new about Andrew and Molly. That's kind of the, the rub is that it was treated like it was, mm. but uh, attempts have been made before. Jet Li and Aaliyah actually kissed, but that was taken out before it was released. You know, there have been active attempts to suppress that kind of depiction. So the fact that I could get my bare butt out and, you know, <laughs> shake it for the screen and, and, and represent like that. Great. That's, that's awesome. But I don't know. I mean, I've dated black women in real life and I know I'm not the only Asian dude that has. And it's cool that, that we can have that publicly but i don't know i just think i think that's fine i find it fascinating the conversations that arise you know the the prejudice and the and the hurt that extols from people when they see it on their screen you know i think it challenges some people mm-hmm. and i think that part is really fascinating you talked about shaking your ass on tv and so what was it like for you to film that scene first of all it was terrifying Yvonne have been doing this for years. And so I I was I was the only one new to this um day one. And so I was, I was terrified. You know, I was I was first of all, when I got the call for season four, I think the first thing I did was go to the gym, start doing some squats. <laughs> I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get it right. I can't, I can't show up and and disrespect my people like that. So, <laughs> so that was number one. But I think, yeah, I, I built up in my head. It was such a, um, it was such a, a, a monumental occasion for me, right? You know, this is going to be forever. This is going to go everywhere. What's my Chinese mother going to think of this? And, <laughs> and, um, earmarking which episodes she can and cannot watch. Um, Has she seen it? Yeah. What did your Chinese mom oh, say? Oh, she still hasn't seen my sex. And we were actually talking, oh, we were talking, oh, I, had, so I had dinner with my mom last night, um, my mom my and my dad. And... Um, she was exclaiming that, you know, a lot of her colleagues, they're all doing this thing for South by Southwest this year. And I have a movie premiering in South by Southwest. And that's, that's a, what a, what a brag. And I told mm-hmm. her, I said, mom, I have a sex scene with somebody in that. I don't know if you want to brag to everybody about that <laughs> movie. And it very quickly became, came from a moment of bragging to, um, Oh shit! How am I gonna find, how am I gonna cover this? Oh. <laughs> so no, the answer is she hasn't seen that. <laughs> Is she kind of conservative or, yeah, what's the deal there? It's not that she's conservative. She's just a classy Asian woman. Oh, very classy. Okay, okay. (laughs) Exactly. You know, she listens to her Chinese operas and her melodramas and she dresses very well and, you know, she's a woman of taste. (laughs) And a lot of my work doesn't quite fall into that uh, category. If my mom had it her way, I'd probably be working in... uh, China or Korea, working oh. on some soaps. Um, <laughs> hey, but, you know, you know yeah. what? You could do that. I bet you yeah, they would I, I take could. you. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> just once for your mom, right? Yeah, just so she can finally watch something I yeah. do for once. <laughs> what was what was the question? <laughs> who knows? I think we were who just cares? Talking about your, your butt. Yeah, your right. butt. Oh my butt. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was terrified, right? And then, um, you know, my mom and my sister raised me to be um, 
a stand-up man and empower women so i was there and i was just like instead of everyone you know whatever you want to do I'm, I'm i'm happy like you know i'll let you lead the way like whatever makes you feel comfortable cool and she took one look at me and said we're good <laughs> and i was like oh okay cool 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 this is me all right great i mean hey thanks for that representative but you know it's really important it's important for for the culture See, this is why my mother can't really be proud of me, and that's why it means so much when she is actually proud of me, because of things like this. Coming up, Alexander Hodge tells us about a career-ending rugby injury that pushed him toward acting, and about an upcoming film he's in. He calls it the raunchiest comedy Asians have ever been a part of. Stick around. You didn't start off uh, wanting to be an actor, but you uh, took a drama class at 13. Was that the spark? I know that you also played rugby and that didn't quite work out because of an injury. But like, what was the spark that made you go, hey, I, I think I'm going to act? I'm going to be so honest with you. Yeah. It was the first time I got an A and I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> is that easy? Damn. All right, cool. I could. Yeah. Let me just, I'll just keep doing this. It's going to make me look better in every other class. Sweet. <laughs> That was that oh, was it. Okay. That was all I ever thought about acting it was just like it's the easiest way to make my grades a little bit better. And, you know, come from a, a working class family and looking the way we look, I guess it was just, oh, you could do it while you're at school, have some fun, but once school's done, you got to grow up. You know, go and get some money. So, you know, I left school and I just got a job. I mean, that was the way it was until my rugby career ended. I was on the couch. I had to major knee surgery which put me in a wheelchair for a bit and I was just watching maybe six movies a day mm. <laughs> it was the only thing I could do mm. and I lost 45 pounds wow. and I just became a bit of a shell and in that moment I remember watching movie after movie going I used to love doing this maybe I could do it I wish I could say it was that easy. I just said, maybe I could do it. And then I did it. But it was like maybe about eight years in between <laughs> where I constantly questioned it and I doubted and I put myself on a timeline and yeah, I got lucky. Yeah. I mean, well, you definitely put in the work and it is proving to be a wise decision. But do you ever think about how things could have been different if you didn't get injured and, and you stuck with that rugby career? Yeah, I'd be at the age I am now, coming towards the end of a career if I was lucky enough to get this far and having to think of starting all over again. And that's the thing that you know I realize about a lot of aspirations that I had as a teenager, that we're really not that protected. When we're really not that protected in, in any avenue we take. So I'm really grateful to do something that I love now. And regardless of what level of protection or guarantee I might have, able to keep on doing it now i don't have a time limit on age whereas i did as an athlete god forbid what would i have done academically i have no idea <laughs> I, I might honestly might be on a farm somewhere <laughs> just oh. wrangling some form of animal i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i wasn't very good at much growing up if it wasn't athletic or, or acting or, or anything artistic I, yeah really um i kind of struggled through school mm. You'd said in previous interviews that you were a good fighter. So you were a bit of... Did I say that? That's <laughs> yeah. so embarrassing. Well, you... Or maybe Whoa. that you got into some... Yeah, some fights. Got a good amount of okay, fights. Okay, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I got into fights. Well... I don't want to say I was a good fighter. 
I was scrappy. And so, you know, we hear you were a little bit of a troublemaker and you got into those those fights. I just want to know, like, where did that maybe that anger come from? It's funny. <laughs> Being a confrontational person actually was a way to avoid conflict. Ooh. Ooh. So in terms of being violently confrontational, I could avoid nonviolent conflict of conversations I didn't want to have, of accountability that I didn't want to hear, of mistakes or anything. If I got angry enough and I got violent enough, I didn't actually have to deal with consequences. I didn't have to grow. I didn't have to change. I didn't have to acknowledge the fact that I wasn't like everybody else around me. And so I, I lent on that for a long time and it stifled my development as a person because it was just this shortcut. I didn't have to learn how to take responsibility. I could just get angry. I didn't have to learn how to sit with negative feelings. I could just externalize and get angry, mm. you know, and, and I, and I did that. And I constantly did, especially as an Asian man, I think that was something that made me feel like, like I was transcending even my ethnic identity because, because Asians aren't supposed to be angry. We're not supposed to be, you know, violent and step out of line. And I thought, fuck that. I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going to take everyone with me. And that's what made me a difficult child to raise. Yeah, that was just a way of getting through what I perceived to be a really difficult time in my life. You have talked about your father going to prison when you were younger and how that's kind of a taboo topic. And some members of your family would prefer you not to share things like that. But I've really admired the way that you've been vulnerable. What's the balance between um, being authentic, open, sharing your struggles, and respecting the wishes of, of your family, mm. or even like espousing like a cultural norm of, of privacy? Is it a cultural norm of privacy? Or is it we just don't talk about the past? Mm. Because it's privacy is shared, right? But secrecy isn't. There are things that we, as Asians, we think, you know, you, you keep in-house. You know, we don't talk about that. But that's not necessarily privacy because there is no safe space to explore it, right? So it actually hurts everybody when, when it's not talked about at all. I think what I've learned through making mistakes is that I started speaking on something before I had fully healed myself with it. Now, the first time I spoke about it, I was new. I didn't grow up where people really paid attention to what I said, recorded it and shared it with the world. And it was always available to look at. I, you know, Conversations with friends weren't reported back to my family in Australia and so on. And so I think part of my early interviews were just me talking about where I was at. And I think part of you know the development of that, um, the progression of that discourse is intrinsic to me as a person and my development personally. And so where I am now is I've you know I've had family members sit me down and go you, you can't talk about that and I've had family members go that's not something that I want to share with my friends mm. and 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 now we're at an impasse but for me what I've come to learn is that I shared about it because I wanted to I wanted to call it what it was it's the formative part of my childhood but it's not all of it right. my father's an incredible person he's fucking great I love that guy like he's the best so supportive, so loving. All of his, you know, shortcomings are just through the best intentions. You know, he's he's the best guy. And I think um, because we don't talk about things, the amount of people who have told me, friends as well, that they've had parents incarcerated, mm. but they've never spoken to anybody about it because you don't talk about it. 
that creates a shame around it where there is there is no shame there is there is there is no inherent problem with with that experience but we all taboo it and we all say this makes me less than reverting back to that this makes me less than ideal this makes me less than appealing and so on i find talking about it calls it what it is puts a label on it and allows it to be inclusive of the entire picture it doesn't take away from anything of who i am today it makes me who i am today you know and i think that's in my mind that's the intention it breaks a little bit of it down makes it a bit more palatable and that other people maybe hopefully don't feel so alone who have also experienced it so you really value your friends and your family tell us about your buddies brag on them a little who are they are they rugby players my people yeah oh man i got people everywhere <laughs> i love my people i think i was talking to someone the other day I realized I have such an eclectic group of friends, such a wide-spanning group of friends, mm. friends with Academy Awards, friends who are unemployed, friends who are making their bread as professional rugby players, friends who are still figuring it out, friends who have got it all worked out. I got my best friend here, Tommy. Shout out, Tommy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a radio presenter. He's um, a musician, and he is a runner, and we run together here. And we get stupid tattoos and we laugh at each other all the time. And we go swimming in the beach when it's freezing and we have the time of our lives. I got friends in New York. I FaceTime when I'm like, man, life is tough. And then one of my best mates over there, Dominican dude from Harlem, he's like, yeah, man, my dad got cancer. I can't get a job. I can hardly pay these bills. You know, tell me life is tough. I feel you, man. And then I got friends, Stephanie Shu, who is... <laughs> deservedly Ooh, getting yeah. every mm. single flower on this earth mm. she is the most incredible and i have so much love for her i can facetime her in the midst of everything she's got going on find the stillness for her and be like yeah how's how are things what's going on what i love about my friends everywhere is that it's not about what you do it's not about what you've accomplished it's always about how the heart is and that's number one my friends make space for each other and that's that's the best thing about it. Oh my god! Can we be your best <laughs> friends? Sorry. You sound, you're just yeah, like we'll be best. friends. We'll be friends <laughs> after we're this. Best and get my number, my email. Or something. <laughs> I mean, so you mentioned Stephanie Shu, and you know you've got some upcoming projects, including a film that that you uh, joined Stephanie on, Joyride. Can you tell us? Much else about Joyride. We know that uh, it's it's Adele Lim's directorial debut, and um, we're super excited about it. I can tell you, it, it might be the the raunchiest uh, <laughs> movie that Asians have ever oh. been a part of. It's wild. Okay. I mean, yeah. Look, just look at the people that they've accrued. All these wild personalities <laughs> performing a script written by a bunch of low key wild women. <laughs> Adele might not tell you, but she wild. And this movie is, I guess it's our collective wildest dreams to be able to act with such reckless abandon and have a studio say, okay, sure. So intriguing. So intriguing. Mm -hmm. Well, before we wrap things up, we want to play a game we call Extra Credit. We will ask you a bunch of uh, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? No, but let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, what is the thirstiest DM you've ever received? Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Probably from a porn star. Ooh. 
Okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. Something a little more um, wholesome. Favorite meal to cook? <laughs> My mom's chocolate chip.、Mm. Favorite plant? We know you like plants. Acacia palm or Monstera deliciosa. Ooh.、Uh, worst job you ever had? Oh God, I was painting warehouses overnight in New York City. Ooh. I start work at midnight, finish at six a.m.、Mm. No,、mm. not for me. Okay, what do you hate more, red velvet cupcakes、Ooh. or truffle fries? Oh, truffle oil is trash. <laughs> Don't go for it. Don't go for it. If you ever, if you ever been lucky enough to have truffle, you can't go back. <laughs> truffle oil is like it's 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 an offense. <laughs> All right, favorite tattoo on your body? Oh, probably this one right here. What is it? It's a tattoo on my hand.、Uh, it says Deleso, which is my best friend's dad's name on his、uh, immigration papers to Australia. This is this is what it was,、oh, wow. and、um, he died in 2018. And he、uh, he was a he was a big role model for me. Wow, and I love that man. So, well, maybe this one. I don't know. Oh my gosh, on、and、your lip? Yeah, it says, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My best friend at the time got sweet. We we were very drunk. <laughs> Uh, we wanted matching tattoos. And, yeah. Okay, a, a tattoo in your inner lip saying "dude." What is the worst stereotype Americans have about Australians? Shrimp on the barbie. Hate that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Who is who was your first Asian celebrity crush? Lucy Liu. Come on. Ooh yeah. She's the one. She's still the one. Look at her. That's <laughs> great. That's great. Finally, shoes on or off in the house. Depends on where I am. I gotta say, I gotta say, it depends on where I am. And there's more just for cleanliness than anything. I'm a, I'm a shoes off if I don't trust outside. <laughs> But I'm a shoes on if I'm like, you know what, it's cool. <laughs> I'm Australian. I walk barefoot everywhere. <laughs> well, that's Alexander Hodge, also known as Asian Bay, on HBO's Insecure. He's starring in Netflix's new dramedy series Well Mania later this month. And enjoy ride coming out later this year. Alexander Hodge, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you guys. This has been amazing. Can I say one more thing? Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. Oh, oh yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. You were like just remembering everybody、yes. and just oh, you're too kind,、yes. so cute. And we are, are、awesome. so excited、yeah. to see your movie and just hype it up as much as possible. Yeah. As we chronicle the many people who make up sexy Asian America, we want to hear from you. And to be clear, we're talking about a wide interpretation of sexy. Hi, Susie Nestor. This is Daryl from Seattle. Sexy Asian, I would love for you to interview Zaleh Salhana. What makes her sexy is not just only her beautiful voice, but all the international accolades that she has achieved. I just remember every Filipino I knew growing up was very proud of her. I mean, she was the singing voice of Jasmine and Blonde. What's not sexy about that? So, who's a sexy Asian we should have on the show next, and why? Record yourself. Email us a voice memo, although we welcome regular emails at shoesoff at wbez.org. Shoes Off is a production of WBEZ Chicago. This episode was produced by Esther Yunji Kang, Stephanie Kim, and me, Susie Ann. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. And on our way out. The Oscars were this past weekend. We must add our congratulations to the Everything Everywhere All at Once team, and also for Natu Natu winning Best Song at the Oscars. Woohoo! Way we love you! Congratulations. We'll see you next time. Stay sexy.